This Student Ministry Podcast is a sermon preached by Dr. John Getch at the 2009 West Coast Baptist Youth Conference. Dr. Getch serves as the Executive Vice President of West Coast Baptist College, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. As a generation, I'm afraid we're handing you a mess. Quite frankly, I'm not real happy about what we're giving to you as a generation. This morning, we are morally a mess in America. We're in a mess economically. We're in a mess spiritually. And it's not the first time that young people have stepped into life, as it were, into a mess. Noah found himself in such a day. The Bible says in Genesis 6 that God saw the wickedness of man that was great upon the earth. The imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented God that he'd even made man. It was a mess. I think about Moses' day. When Moses was born, the command had gone out that all the babies should die. Moses should have died. God honored the faith of his parents as they hid him in a basket in the bulrushes of the river there. You know the story. Moses should have been killed. A difficult day. I think of Joseph, sold out by his own family, sold as a slave, ends up in Egypt, a wicked, godless country by himself, no other believers around him. Black ball, lied about, forgotten, forsaken. I think of Daniel. Daniel came into a time, a generation, where it was against the law to pray. If anyone prayed, they would be cast to a den of lions. I think of the early apostles in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ had just been put on a cross and and brutally crucified. Now God said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. I think of Paul. Paul labored and ministered under the the time of Nero, emperor of Rome. It was Nero who would take Christians and douse them in oil, place them out in his gardens at night and set them on fire so he could see his flowers. Nero married a 13-year-old boy. That was Paul's generation. That was Paul's opportunity. You see, young people, the question this morning is not, what is the world going to do? That's not the question. The truth is, the world is going to get worse and worse. The world isn't going to get any better. The world's not going to hand you something easy. The question is not this morning, what is the world going to do? Or what is the world going to become? Or where is the world going? The question is, what are you going to do in the world to make a difference for Jesus Christ? D.L. Moody sat in a meeting much like this as a young man and heard someone say, the world has yet to see what God will do with one man who is totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody sat there in 
and said, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. D.L. Moody was not greatly educated. D.L. Moody did not possess great talents. He was a self-learned man. D.L. Moody lived at a time when the population of America and England was 109 million people. Those two countries, America and England, 109 million people. But D.L. Moody, a young man, said, by the grace of God, I'll be somebody that God can use in my generation. And during the ministry of D.L. Moody, in his revival campaigns, over 100 million people walked through the doors to hear him preach in a time when there were only 109 million people. And one million of those people who walked through the doors walked down the aisle to be saved. I want to share with you four distinctive characteristics of your generation as a Christian. I think you've figured it out by now. We'd like you to make a difference. And here are four characteristics that will help you. First of all, I want you to notice from our text that you are a chosen generation. It says it right there, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. Young person, you've been chosen to be saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are some people who think that God chooses certain people to be saved and certain people to be lost. There are some people who think that God chooses some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. I said God chose you to be saved because God chooses for every man to be saved. My Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It sounds to me like God wants every person to be saved. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. My friend, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not absolutely certain that you're on your way to heaven, I can assure you from this book, the Bible that God loves you and God wants you in heaven and God will save you today if you'll come to him in simple faith. He's chosen you to be saved. The Bible says that he died for all. I don't know what that means other than he died for all. He loves all. He died for all. He paid the price of everybody's sin. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God so loved the world. He didn't love part of the world or some of the world. He loves all the world. He loves you. He's chosen you to be saved, and he's chosen you to be sanctified. In Romans 8 and verse 29, the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. You say, well, right there it says he predestinated some. No, it says those he knew, those he saved, he's predestinated to be like him. He's called you, he's chosen you to become conformed to the image of his Son. Where is workmanship? We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Young person, you don't have to sit around and pray about whether it's God's will that you be pure or that you be godly or that you serve God. That is his will for you. He's chosen you to be saved. He's chosen you to be sanctified. You're a chosen generation. But you are also a commissioned 
generation. In verse 9, he says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a commissioned generation. Now then, ye are ambassadors for Christ. Young person, if you're saved, you are God's representation on this earth. You are God's witness. You are God's ambassador. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. God wants all seven billion people on planet earth to hear the gospel. You say, well, I don't know how that would be possible. Uh, Do you know how to text? Have you figured out there's an internet? Why don't don't some of you get on your MySpace and do something productive? Why don't you put the gospel on there? You can reach your generation. You can reach people in third world countries that are close to missionaries with MySpace. Come on. You've been commissioned. Maybe you can't go as a missionary to North Korea right now, but you could reach some people through your technology. You'd pray and ask God to use it instead of, instead of just playing around. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn that wicked man of his wicked way, he will die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. God requires us. He has commissioned us to reach this generation. Who have you told about Jesus Christ? Have you told your family? Have you told your friends? I was preaching at a camp for teenagers and there was a church there from Hayesville, Ohio. They had uh, a youth group of 21 guys and five girls. I think that was because their youth pastor was a single guy. He was having trouble reaching girls. The youth pastor came with his kids to camp. He was staying in the cabin with his boys. His dad was the pastor of the church and his His dad and his mom came to camp as well, but they were staying in a little camper trailer. One morning, about 5 a.m., a knock came on that camper door where the pastor and his wife were sleeping. The pastor answered the door and fell outside and said, Pastor, you have a phone call at the office. The pastor quickly dressed. He ran to the office. He took the call. From there he walked over to the cabin where his son, the youth pastor, and the boys from his church were sleeping. It was about 5.15. He went over to his son's bunk. The youth pastor woke him up and and said, "Uh, we're going to have to get the boys up. They turned the lights on and began to awaken the young men. They were, of course, groggy. They were trying to figure out what's going on. And as those boys were trying to get awake, the pastor went over to the bunk of a boy whose name was Chris. He was 14. Chris was sitting in his bunk trying to wipe the sleep from his eyes with everybody else trying to get awake and figure out what was going on. The pastor knelt down beside him. He said, Chris, I've got some bad news. Your mom has just passed away. She was 34. She thought she had the flu. 
been troubling her for a couple of weeks. Turned out to be an aneurysm of her brain. That morning at 4 a.m., she had slipped into eternity. As Chris began to digest that news, he began to weep. And he buried his head in the shoulder of his pastor. And he said, Pastor, she's in hell. Because I never told her once about Jesus Christ. About an hour later, I stood and helped that young man put his duffel bag in the back of that pastor's car. Had a word of prayer with him as he was to make that long trip home for the funeral of his mom. I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me as I watched that car go down that driveway. The Holy Spirit was saying, John, what if that phone call had been for you? What if it had been your family member? What if it had been your next door neighbor? Would you be standing here saying they're in hell? Because I never told them once about Christ. Young people, we are a commissioned generation. But not only are we a chosen generation and a commissioned generation, we are a changed generation. In verse 10, he says, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Young person, if you're saved, you are a new creature in Christ. The Bible says old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You heard Pastor Chapel say it last night from this pulpit. You and I cannot make a difference until we are different. We look at our society, we look at our culture, and we shake our heads and we, we mop our brow and we say, what in the world can be done and how can we change some things? The only way we're going to make a difference is if God makes a difference in our life. We have got to be a changed generation. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Young person, if we're going to make a difference, we've got to quit playing with the world. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father. It is of the world, and the world passeth away. See, young people want to blend today somehow their Christianity with the world. God says, no, no, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You put that light under a bushel and the world's never going to see light. You, you, you let your salt lose its savor. It's good for nothing. Teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. You say, but Brother Getz, it's tough. It's not easy in my public school. It's not easy in my neighborhood to take a stand. Listen, God knew what kind of generation you were going to live in. 
He said, I want you to be godly, and I want you to be righteous, and I want you to be holy in this present world. We are a changed generation. And then I see, fourthly, not only a chosen generation, not only a commissioned generation, not only a changed generation, but we are to be a causative generation. He says, dearly beloved, in verse 11, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your conversation or the way that you live, be honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. We're to make a difference. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Paul was able to say of the church at Thessalonica, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith to God is spread abroad. So we have no need to speak anything. Boy, it'd be great if your pastor could stand up on Sunday morning and not need to preach because you've already told everybody the message. That's what Paul said. These people were causative. These people went out and told others about Christ. These people made a difference. We can sit here all morning and talk about how bad it's getting. Or we can decide as a group of young people we're going to make a difference. When I was a junior in college, our last football game of the season was against North Dakota State University. It was up there. It was the third Saturday of November in North Dakota. I was raised in the north. I was used to cold, but I'd never been to North Dakota. We got to that campus on a Friday night. It was bitter cold. They gave us some housing there, and we slept, got up the next morning, and it was, it was one of those dreary, gray days in November in the Midwest. The leaves had long left the trees. The ground was frozen. There was a misty rain falling from the sky that was freezing on the ground as it hit. And I thought, man, this is going to be a miserable day to play. We ate our pregame meal. We went over for taping and all those things, you know, before the game. And I remember going down in the locker room and trying to get myself ready for that game and going through those, those rituals that you have. One of the things I like to do was to, was to get a game program. You know, this, the, the things they'd hand out to the fans as they come in the stadium. I always like to get one of those and just look at the roster of the other team. Because when you watch game film, if you watch film, you really can't determine sizes. You know, you, you, you can look at a guy and he looks fast or he looks, he looks slow, but, 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 but film has a way of distorting that. Many of you have seen Arnold Schwarzenegger in some kind of a movie. You, you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger, our governor in California, you know how tall he is? He's 5'7". Now, in the movies, he looks a lot taller. You know why? Because they lower all the doorways in his movies. All the windows are lowered. You see, in Hollywood, you can do that. Make a guy look taller. 
And film has a way of distorting your size. Now, don't underestimate our governor. He can whip you, okay? But he's not very tall. So I like to get one of those programs. I like to look down through there, you know, and see their size, their weight, you know, and stuff. Whether they're a senior, whether they're a freshman, you know. You watch game film, you, assert, you identify certain numbers, but you don't know if they're a senior or a freshman. So, so I, I got one of those programs. I was down in the locker room. I was, I was going down through that roster, just looking at the numbers. And normally the lower numbers are the quarterbacks and backs and cornerbacks and, you know, the, the skill players. Then you get to the, the middle numbers. Those are usually the linebackers and, 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 and some of the linemen. Then you get the bigger numbers. Those are the big guys. I'm reading down through this roster and I got to number 36. It gave his name. He was a senior. He was 5'3", 135 pounds. His position was listed as middle linebacker. I chuckled. I thought, that's got to be a typo. There's no way. There's no way a guy 5'3", 135 pounds, at this level can play middle linebacker. It's got to be 6'3", 235 pounds. It's obviously a misprint. We went out, got warmed up. It was time for the toss of the coin. So we went out couple of us to the center of the field for the toss of the coin. And coming from the other side of the field were four players from North Dakota State, one of which was number 36. He was 5'3". He didn't look 135 pounds even in his shoulder pads. I thought, you got to be kidding me. He's one of the captains. And, and, and this thought hit me. Oh, well, this is the last game of the season. He's a senior. He, he, the, the, the coach made him an honorary captain. You know, he's a non-scholarship guy. He's a walk-on. He's put in his time. He's been hamburger meat for all these weeks of practice. And the coach decided to reward him by making him an honorary captain. Poor guy. I mean, some coaches, the last game, they make all the seniors the captains. You know, and, and that's a good, good thing. So we went out, we shook hands with these guys, we had to toss the coin. Now I don't remember if we lost the toss or if we deferred the second half, but we were going to be kicking off. And I was on the kickoff team. So they played the national anthem and we went out, took our positions on the field and I got in my position on the kickoff team. And our, our kicker was teeing up the ball and, and everybody was getting into position. And I looked down the field and directly across from me, about 15 yards away, was number 36. And again, my thought was, huh, coach is going to let him play one play. He's hiding him on the kick-receive team. You know, he's a senior. It's probably parents' day. I mean, his parents probably came to the game. And so he's going to let him, he's going to let him play one play. And he's hiding him on special teams where he can't mess up too bad. That was my thought. But all of a sudden, I saw him walking toward me. He got about five yards from me. And he pointed at me. He said, you're mine. (laughs) Yeah, right, whatever. (laughs) Ref blew the whistle. I began to run. Now, in kickoff, you run in a straight line because you're responsible for a lane. And you stay in that lane, but you run as hard as you can. 
After about 10, 15 yards of running, you have to pick up the, the, the ball, the flight of the ball out of your peripheral. We were kicking to the left side of the field. That was the plan. As I ran about 15 yards, I began to pick up the flight of the ball in my left peripheral. It was going exactly where we'd planned, but I was staying in my lane. No more had I picked up the ball in my left peripheral when something entered my right peripheral. By the time I turned my head to see what it was, he had left his feet. He was in a prone position, (laughs) sort of like a heat-seeking missile. The next thing I remember was number 36 planting his face mask right there. And I went from a full-speed sprint to lying flat on my back. I had been decleated. We used to call it a snot bubbling block. You'd get hit so hard, snot would bubble out of your nose. <laughs> Number 36 was the starting middle linebacker for North Dakota State. We spent the entire halftime trying to change our blocking assignments on offense to try to get that guy blocked. We put in traps, we put in cross blocks, we put everything in the book we had to try to block that guy and we could not get him blocked. He was in on every tackle. We'd throw a pass, it seemed like he was always there to deflect or there to make the tackle. It was unbelievable. I never saw a guy so unimpressive on paper who had more of an impact on a game in my entire life. Young person, if the world walked through that back door right now and looked at this crowd, they would not be impressed. The world is not impressed by Christians. But we are not here to impress the world. We are here to make an impact. We are here to make a difference. And God has chosen your generation to live at this time. And it's not a good time. It's a bad time. But so has God chosen Moses and Noah and Daniel and Joseph and Paul to live in a difficult generation. And by the grace of God, they turned the world upside down and made a difference. And I'm pleading with you to do the same in your generation. Make a difference. And if there's something that needs to be made different about you so you can make that difference, then would you pray with me right now that in this next service, God will do just that in your heart because that big bad world out there is waiting for you to come home and make a difference. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.